1: everyone and welcome to midday Super talk Mississippi I'm your host Gerard Gibbert and I am on location today in West Point Mississippi for the Prairie arts of Festival Rhino safe and sound back in the super talk headquarters studio we have relocated the element well studio to West Point today and we'll be guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music what's going on down there Rhino howdy howdy well uh it's it's a little hot gary looks like he's been swimming this morning already
2: (laughs) i saw that earlier
1: (laughs) uh i got uh if you hear a a bit of sound in the background folks that's because they got me uh they got me all lit up with the fans up here uh very necessary on this very hot day across uh, mississippi also Can you hear the cicadas in the background
2: there, Rhino? Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was cicadas or the fan I was hearing.
1: (laughs) It's it's both. The cicadas are uh, absolutely raising cane up here. Uh, Don't they know it's like 10 o'clock in the morning? I thought that's when they started to calm down a bit. But we got it going on. We are here again for the Prairie Arts Festival. Lisa Klutz, Director of Community Development for the West Point Community Growth Alliance will join middays at 10:50. We've got Senator Angela Turner Ford represents District 16 of Mississippi that includes Clay, Lowndes, Noxubee and Oktibbeha counties. And then we've got Mac Thatcher, sales manager for Mossy Oak Biologic at 11.50, wrapping up the program today once again with Lisa Klutz, director of community development for West Point Community Growth. Now, am I saying that there's a little tropical storm headed towards the state of Texas? Is that true?
2: Uh, It's got a chance. I don't even know if it's going to be tropical by the time it gets there, though.
1: Okay. So we've got uh, the wind shear and the other conditions in the atmosphere that might cut this thing down to size. I was, uh, I guess, wishful thinking that maybe it would shoot a little rain in our direction. We certainly could use it. It would be nice. I've noticed that it's a little greener as you travel north. In Mississippi, they've uh, been fortunate to have received some rain of the last uh, couple of weeks, whereas in central Mississippi, I honestly cannot tell you the last time it rained. Does anybody know? Is there any, any official data to that effect? Because I really don't know at this point. It seems like centuries ago, honestly. My uh, wife and I traveled up to Oxford, Over the weekend, we were there for uh, a Grove Collective event. I think folks are familiar now with the NIL program that has (laughs) been introduced into college athletics and programs across the country have established these collective units, if you will. They're third-party organizations whose mission is to raise money to participate in compensating players. That's just a fact. That's where we are. So what, interestingly enough, would have landed a program, the death penalty, a short couple of years ago, is now encouraged, out in the open, and in full swing. So had a chance to, on all day Saturday, had a chance to hear from Uh, The coaches of the big three programs uh, up in Oxford at at Ole Miss, Coach Bianco and his coaching staff in baseball. We started the day off with that over at Swayze in the player meeting room in the baseball stadium. And then we got a tour of the facilities. Wow, impressive. Haven't been uh, throughout the entire facility in a while. And, of course, I know that rival Mississippi State just down the road. It's got incredible baseball facilities as well. I'm just thinking about my days playing high school baseball and aspiring to play college baseball. It uh, wasn't quite the same back then. It has uh, changed tremendously and then we we went to watch the uh, on field to watch the football team scrimmage for a bit and it was of course hot. And I can't believe those players were out there playing football in that heat. That was kind of neat. You know, you don't have an appreciation for just how dang fast the game is until you're on the field level and it's happening uh, 15, 20 feet in front of you. Those guys are big, and they are fast. It is incredible. We then retreated to the Rebel Club in the stadium to, uh, for some lunch and continued to watch the team scrimmage. Moved over to the indoor practice facility and got tour of the new facilities there. There's been significant renovation underway for the last couple of years. That is complete, incredibly impressive. Went to the new meeting room and heard from Coach Giffen. And then we heard from new head basketball coach uh, Beard. And that was uh, fascinating. Just to learn about these programs, a lot of information was was conveyed uh, to the group and of course the goal is to raise money that's what it's all about what I took away the main takeaway in my view from my perspective was that running college athletic programs now is much like running a professional franchise in every way think about the draft in pro sports being equivalent to recruiting players Out of high school or perhaps junior college think about the transfer portal being equivalent to free agency and so coaches the programs honestly have to be magicians with their money and figure out a way to allocate that money uh, appropriately accordingly with a lot of risk built into those decisions to incoming freshmen or perhaps juco or Those transferring from the portal, I mean, it's just become the Wild West, or money to retain players so they don't enter the transfer portal. I mean, it's just turned that world upside down, like it or not. And I I was impressed with what Coach Kiffin said, which was, it is what it is, which is so true. You either got to learn to deal with it and manage through it, or you're going to get – outsmarted and, I, I guess, outgunned from a monetary perspective by others. It's just interesting to see where all this is leading. There are are few uniform policies in place from the NCAA. There's like virtually nothing at the federal level. For the most part, the programs are governed by state statute including in Mississippi. And a, a lot of fine-tuning needs to be had in those statutes. But it's fascinating, honestly, to, to just watch uh, this this new dimension, this new dynamic in college athletics unfold. I've, I'm on the record of, of saying, and a lot of people think I'm crazy, this is a crazy idea, I still believe that we are headed to an environment where college sports becomes privatized. And that doesn't mean that uh, that I see any major change in the fan experience or or what it looks like today from a fan perspective. But I can see a point where private sector entities are responsible for running programs at the college level and and paying royalties if you will through some sort of agreement with the colleges to the colleges and universities Of course a lot of the revenue as you know comes from television rights uh... merchandise etc i just see that that's where it's going there may be a day where a college athlete not even enrolled in the college for which they play i can see that coming we ended the day with a dinner, cocktails and a dinner, at a local prominent uh, alumni's house, alumnus's house, I should say. And that was interesting in that it was attended by uh, those invited to the event, plus a number of the athletes who are participating in the NIL program and they're receiving compensation and they are serving as ambassadors ambassadors for the NIL program so we got to hear from them uh, several of them on just how it has affected them and how they see the NIL program uh, presently as a student athlete so little little bit off the subject but just thinking about how hot it was up there in, in Oxford uh... this past weekend we are in west point today it's the prairie arts festival we're not far from mississippi state university the great town of west point will be right back in the element well studios at mossy oak stay with us Welcome back everyone, it's Middays Live from West Point, Mississippi. We're here for the Prairie Arts Festival. We are in the Element Well Studio, even though we're under a tent here in the parking lot at the uh, Mossy Oak uh, Center. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to MyElementWealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Last check of the market, uh, Rhino had the NASDAQ slightly in the green and the Dow Jones was uh, down pretty close to unchanged, down about 40 points last time I took a look at that. And uh, the investors are kind of sitting on the edge of their seats waiting for NVIDIA. NVIDIA is uh, scheduled to release earnings. I believe that is on tap for tomorrow. I honestly think that it will set the tone for the market. If they come out with a positive report showing that they beat estimates and they come out with a very optimistic guidance I think you're gonna see the market really take off you're gonna see investors backing up the trucks to pour their money into this whole artificial intelligence play that's uh, that's where we're going Nvidia expects it's just crazy folks a 50 percent increase in sales over the coming couple of years 50% because of investment in the explosion investment in in the explosion of artificial intelligence these guys make the chips that are optimized they're the silicon ma- manufacturers that are optimized for artificial intelligence applications and technologies and I'm looking at the stock right now it is up 35 bucks it's trading for 469 up eight and a half percent today I heard an analyst this morning in route to West Point predict seven hundred and fifty dollars a share <laughs> 750 in 52 weeks it's expensive that's the problem it's sitting at 469 a share for that's four hundred sixty nine dollars a share it opened up at 4:44, and so it's it's up considerably. It actually opened up a little lower than that, but we'll see where all that goes. But keep an eye on Nvidia's report tomorrow. It's going to be uh, pivotal, I do believe. Uh, Rhino, did I see that the president did finally make his way to to Maui to show that he at least knows about the devastating fires the destruction to the town of Lahaina. Oh, but once yeah. again it, it just, is it just something about this guy where it's supposed to be Mr. Empathy I guess. Everywhere he goes he like has to relate some personal story that has a connection to wh- whatever the circumstances are.
2: No matter how the, loose that connection may be and no matter how many times he's embellished said story over his 40, 50 year political career. Yeah, that's that's about right. Please explain,
1: if you will, the president's bald faced lies about a fire at his home in Delaware, I believe. It was a kitchen fire,
2: right? Oh, yeah, he came out. He talked about how Jill and I have a, a sense of what it's like to lose a home, talking about all the people that have lost their lives and property in Lahaina, talking about how. Lightning struck his house, I think it was 2003, 2004, something like that. Then he went on to say, I almost lost my Corvette and my cat. <laughs> no, you didn't. Lightning struck. There was a fire in the kitchen. It was out in 20 minutes. You <laughs> full of crap, piece of crap. How does he do it, man? So he, You remember
1: when he had uh, the World Series champions to the White House? It's customary, right? He had them there, and he started bragging about Hitting some double off the wall in the congressional baseball game a long time ago, and we did the research. He's like, "No, you didn't. You went 0 for 3. I think you struck out twice or something." He just lies every single time. He lies. It's just amazing. It, it, no matter what the circumstances are, it's whether it's what driving a big rig truck <laughs> when you know when he's in front of. Um, uh, uh, the car manufacturers, he lies about union, uh, when he's in front of unions, about his his, um, his relationship there. It's just everything. It's always some story that he just embellishes to the nth degree to make it sound like he feels their pain. I just don't get it. Why, why does the left-wing media not go after him for that? Uh, certainly they do on Donald Trump. Because right? the
2: first two words you said there, left-wing media?
1: Anything they can do to protect this guy. The most protected, I would say, guarded president in history. The most protected. This is the media clearly abdicating their responsibility to tell the truth or certainly to call out an I would elected say second leader. most
2: protected. You couldn't the, say a single thing about Obama without being labeled racist. Even if it had nothing to do with the melanin content of his skin, you were a racist. That's very true. That is absolutely true.
1: Wow. Uh, Thomas and Greenwood says, that's, that's because y'all griped about all the storms in June is why we're experiencing this dry spell, this drought and heat. I said, well, you know, the storms are bad, but the rain is good. I'll take the rain without the storms. We were uh we were in in fact uh concerned about the very strong thunderstorms that that came through uh, a lot of the state of Mississippi that did a lot of damage and destruction caused a lot of problems. But I would just settle for some rain uh at this point. Uh Ben from Madison says Gerard if you could ask one question to the candidates tomorrow what would you ask? You know Ben That's a great question, by the way, and I appreciate that. I'd have to think about it because there's just such a wide range of of questions that that, uh, could be asked. But something that I think is important in our day and age, and it kind of relates to what we were just talking about with respect to Joe Biden and his just constant uh, fibs, honestly, is will you admit when you're wrong it's a question I'd ask every one of them, because we've gotten to a point, and to a great extent, it, it is a function of we the people. If you admit you made a mistake when you're an elected leader, which is the first step towards curing any problems that resulted from those mistakes, you've got to first acknowledge and admit, eh, called that one wrong. But we've gotten to a point, and this is not specific to any party whatsoever it's just I think the present environment politically you can't admit you ever made a mistake if you do you get crucified you get excoriated you don't get praised or recognized for just being honest and so therefore you end up just paying no attention investing no time in those issues I, I, I think it's critical, it's a critical, crucial first step to resolving problems is admitting that you have them and that maybe you made the wrong call. And look, what we expect from that is, okay, but this is what I'm going to do, fix it. If you just say, I, I blew it, I made a mistake, well that's that's not consistent with quality leadership. You've got to immediately follow up that up with I've recognized it, I've acknowledged it. These are the issues that in in, in problems that that uh, miscall created. But this is what I'm going to do. A detailed plan. This is what I'm going to do to fix it. I think it's critical. It's essential that we elect someone that brings that into the white house the White House there's just one problem with
2: that though okay the left will never do that because they have protection of the news and the right can't do that because then they won't win reelection because the left and their media propaganda arm won't let them live it down
1: right yeah you're right about that uh... rhino and i guess that's kinda to the point i was making that um... someone on the right said that the left-wing media would absolutely excoriate them. I mean, it'd be the headlines everywhere. President so-and-so admits they made a mistake. So, alternatively, what we have are elected leaders that are, like, infallible. They don't ever make mistakes. And you're right. A lot of that's just fear. Man, I know I boo-booed here. I want to fix it. But if I come out and say that, the media will absolutely castigate me. They'll hang me up on a I and I just won't be able to, to function and more importantly, won't be able to get re-elected. And that's sad. It's truly sad. We're in the Element Well Studio in West Point, Mississippi for the Prairie Arts Festival. We're coming back with more at el- at 10:50. Pardon me. At the uh, in the final segment of the hour, we've got Lisa Klutz, director of community development, West.
2: Point. It's time for
0: midday's with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. <laughs>
1: Welcome back everyone it's middays live from West Point Mississippi for the Prairie Arts Festival We got Lisa Klutz, director of Community Development West Point Community Growth Alliance coming up next. Angela Ford Turner the senator from district 16 will join us at 11:20. All right so we got an election going on here too folks. before I get to that uh, a tweet. From Democrat gubernatorial candidate Brandon Presley, who rises every day throwing rocks at Governor Tate Reeves and slinging that old mud. Before I get to that, okay, Rhino, so there is a viral video going around from a few hours ago that shows Joe Biden falling asleep, sleeping in the middle of the meeting with victims of the Maui fires, you seen this? He's sitting there. it Looks like maybe among the survivors. Some of the survivors of the families. Uh, it's it's the the field of view is a little tight. But the president sleeping. This this guy. I mean, it's just sad, folks. He's he doesn't have the energy. He just really doesn't have the tools the physical tools or nor the mental acuity to be the commander-in-chief and you know where he's going now don't you he's headed out for yet another vacation yes indeed so he heads to Maui he lies about this nonsense with his fabricated house fire and, and he falls asleep, and now he's headed back to the States for more vacation. This is crazy. Totally. The uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, by the way, this is just more obfuscating the truth. This was... Uh, Late yesterday, since President Joe Biden and I took office, we have helped create more than 13 million new jobs. That's more jobs created in two and a half years than any presidency has created in four years. No, you're wrong about that, Madam Vice President. But of course you're wrong about virtually everything you and your running mate, President Joe Biden, say. You twist and turn and manipulate and contort, distort, fabricate reality and the facts. The first thing we should point out is that government's job is to get the hell out of the way and allow the private sector to flourish. And of course, a key component of that flourishing and economic prosperity is creating jobs. But this is a president and a party who believes it is their job to manage all aspects of the economy. Who you're going to hire, what you're going to pay them, what your board composition is going to look like, what you're going to buy, what you're going to sell, how much you're going to pay for it, and how much you're going to sell it for. That is the essence of central planning big government socialism. But just to refute her assertion here with some facts, under Biden, some 2.1 million jobs have been created. And let's be honest, these, these were jobs that were largely reestablished, recommissioned because the COVID nonsense destroyed jobs, told everybody to go home. And by the way, here's a bunch of money. In the form of these ppp programs if you just keep these people on the payroll but they can't come to work because they might get the COVID, and then we're going to send them while they're home all this money this helicopter money so they can go buy stuff and guess who they bought it primarily from amazon and walmart and the big the big stores the big box guys and then they get mad because they made money it's just so upside down so 2.1 million jobs created under biden 204,000 manufacturing jobs. Well, let's compare that to Trump. During his four years, 4.9 million jobs created, 484 manufacturing jobs, and I don't even know why we measure economic success in in the terms of manufacturing jobs, something we've talked about before. The manufacturing sector, like all sectors, is important to economic prosperity in this country, but it's not the sole measurement, exclusive measurement. In fact, less than 8 percent of our population work in manufacturing. That's because human innovation has just automated the heck out of our factories to produce goods at a higher quality and more efficiently. We don't need all these people, but you know what? We need them doing other things. We need them producing the next wave of technology and innovation that will make our lives easier and make us all richer, make us all wealthier. That's the idea. Productivity. The mortgage rate average during Donald Trump's four years 2.65%, 7.5% under Biden. We've experienced 17% rise in inflation under Biden. 6% at this point under Trump's term the first 30 months. (laughs) A a paltry 1.9% growth in the CPI in Trump's first 30 months. 7.4% annual growth uh, for Biden. We've witnessed a 20% increase in food prices under Biden. 2% under Trump. Like him or not, his pro-growth policies work. Those policies being less regulation, lower taxes, something the Democrats just get all upset about. Tax breaks for the millionaires and billionaires and those big greedy, devious, diabolical corporations. We let them keep more of what they make. We can't do that. Pay up! So I can skim off the top and send it out the door through these misguided government programs. Unbelievable. That they can just be spouting this nonsense and refusing to speak the truth. I saw one of the surrogates, this is crazy, folks. One of the surrogates out on Twitter says, A global pandemic was the culprit. Biden policies kept us from a recession. You're welcome. And they've got this graph showing inflation cut in half. And what they're trying to suggest, which is just complete deception is, oh yeah, Biden actually cut the price you're paying for everyday stables since he's been in office in half. No, he simply presided over an environment where we saw the rate of price increases moderate a bit. They're still going up and your wages aren't keeping up with them. You're in the hole in terms of real wages. It's negative but they won't talk about that we will because it's just mathematically fact and i say again that we're poised oh by the way we still have a labor force participation rate that hasn't returned to where it was when trump left office when when um where it was uh... i should say pre-pandemic not when trump left office that was one year into the pandemic. But that, that's a—that's uh, an invalid measurement. I mean, you can't on the one hand say, well, uh, the uh, inflation created, or pardon me, COVID created the problems and Joe Biden has fixed them. But on the other hand, you won't compare your metrics to pre-COVID metrics. That's the only valid way. you got to take that anomaly out of it, as any good statistician would. Because anomalies are just that. They're rare. This was rare. and We can debate all day long whether or not the guidance, the restrictions, was appropriate. I think in retrospect, most of us would agree it was gross, broad overreach, unnecessary, that did a whole lot of damage. But you have to compare the labor participation rate to what it was at the end of or in 2019 or the first month or so into 2019 where it was sitting at 63.3 percent and now it's sitting at 62.6 so the point is the labor force participation rate which is arguably the most valid measurement of job stability is still below under joe biden today where it was before the pandemic hit under under trump's watch that's just the only valid way to take a look at this and later on in the program i'm going to contrast trump and biden's performance vis-a-vis the deficits and the debt because the president's not being honest about that either we're stepping aside for a break right now in west point mississippi when we return it's lisa clots director community development for west point community growth alliance stay with us
3: singing these working man blues this song for the working man
1: everyone it's midday's live from West Point Mississippi for the Prairie Arts Festival that's a little eddie money bumping us into this segment here we welcome to the program Lisa Klutz director community development West Point Community Growth Alliance Lisa Labor Day is just around the corner so that means it's time for the festival
4: less than two weeks away (laughs) we are in full swing
1: tell us all about it What, what we got planned this year
4: everything that you love about prairie arts festival in downtown west point saturday september 2nd it's labor day saturday we have been bringing the arts to west point since 1979 we have over 200 vendors of juried fine arts handmade crafts boutique clothing food music a 5k run things for kids to do we got a rock climbing wall um a mechanical bull um just everything for everybody
1: What's the connection of the arts to West Point? How would they get started?
4: Well, West Point, so it's a little bit of a story. Um, West Point was known for Brian Foods. That was sure. um, what we were known for. And um, when they closed, we kind of lost our de- identity. Yeah. Who are we? Well, we are an outdoors community. We're out here at Mossy Oak and, and everything that they bring. Um, th- their partnership with Old Waverly. But we're also the arts community. We have murals, um, a strong arts council, and uh, one of the biggest events in the state, downtown West Point.
1: Wow, mm-hmm. that's awesome. How many folks you expect will attend?
4: We did an economic impact study last year. After COVID, um, people were ready to get out, but we always yeah. um, have anywhere from 10 to 20,000 people. That that's come incredible. Through. Yes, from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. with 200 vendors shopping in the stores, along with the vendors. It's a full experience downtown.
1: Anything special to uh, deal with the heat you guys are doing?
4: We are very mindful of that. Sure. Um, Of course, we have plenty of water, but we do have the ambulance service and um, EMTs on site. We kind of gauge how hot the year is by how many people pass out. Okay. But I want to say that's also a testimony to How people want to come to the festival and endure the heat because it is such a tradition.
1: Well, just stay hydrated and and stay cool, stay in the shade. Be smart about it. Yes, come early
4: or come later. Stay all day, but we have um, cooling stations and water, and we'll take care of you if you do pass out.
1: So the merchants of West Point, the businesses, they're fully supportive of this.
4: Well, when you bring 10,000 people in front of their storefront, (laughs) absolutely, yes. And the stores are full. Um, they, They stay busy, too. So they're not just uh, people that come to the festival and come to downtown West Point aren't just coming to the fe- festival itself. Yeah. They are going into the stores and shopping with them, too.
1: I wonder if it's not their biggest weekend of the year, even compared to day after Thanksgiving, Christmas.
4: Well, Christmas open houses is, sure. is a big time for them. Also, on the holidays, we support that yeah. and promote them that way. But uh, I think pra- Prairie Arts is a big, big one of the biggest days for them.
1: Yeah. A lot of work to put this together and we start
4: planning the day after yeah for the next year but really it really gears up the first of April when our applications go out when we start booking bands start promoting advertising yes um, and, and it just keeps the momentum keeps building as we get closer and closer the logistics that it takes working with the city uh, the fire department the police department the mm-hmm. sheriff department uh, the support of the city and the county and the sales tax that revenue that it brings to town
1: sure um, also you've got uh, the I know the city leaders have a lot in, of involvement in this as well right a, a they, bunch
4: they do they're very supportive yeah. um, and it's one of their um, I want to say pride and joys We um, have uh, for a long time been just Prairie Arts Festival, bringing the arts to downtown West Point. But in the past two years, there's been another award-winning event uh, festival called the Cottrell Street Music and Heritage Festival that has a different vibe. But it also brings culture to downtown West Point, and that's in May. So I love how the right. Cultural Street Festival is in May, starting out the summer, and then Prairie Arts Festival is Labor Day weekend, closing out.
1: And the, the summer. artists, are they selling their work here? Do they bring it here to sell? Do yes. they come from they, outside the area?
4: From all over, yeah. not just Mississippi. I mean, we have Alabama, Texas, Florida georgia yeah. they're, they're driving to west point um we are one of the few festivals that is a juried fine uh, jur- we have juried fine artists okay so they're coming to compete for money um and they're okay. winning awards here at our festival
1: so. maybe launch uh, e- an even greater career beyond uh, what it is when they get here that's right <laughs> move on to bigger bigger deals where they uh, can make a little money for their Fantastic talent. Yeah. Exposure. Absolutely. All right. Well, we appreciate the update. We're going to talk to you one more time before we get out of here today. It's Lisa Klutz, Director of Community Development, the West Point Community Growth Alliance, all about the Prairie Arts Festival coming up on Labor Day. It's time for a break here on Middays. Top of the hour means Fox News, Super Chalk News. We're coming right back. We've got Senator Angela Turner Ford at 1120. Stay with us. everyone. Hour two of Middays. We are live in West Point, Mississippi for the Prairie Arts Festival. Coming up in the next segment, Senator Angela Turner Ford, Mac Thatcher, sales manager with Mossy Oak Biologic, joins Middays in the final segment of this hour and then we'll hear again from Lisa Klutz, Director of Community Development to uh, wind up the day. So. Uh, Have you seen this story about Queen's iconic hit, Fat Bottom Girls, 1978 it was released? It is missing from the band's new greatest hits released.
2: Yeah, that's why I played it yesterday.
1: (laughs) That's crazy. So um, this is nuts to me that whoever made this decision believes that some of the lyrics are a little racy now maybe inappropriate for children uh, one of the lines in the song if i can get to it here is uh, left alone with big fat fanny she was such a naughty nanny big woman you made a bad boy out of me okay so i guess the what i have a problem with here is that It's okay if we foist all sorts of sexually explicit, especially same-sex content, on kindergartners. I mean, images. Just bare images, literally and figuratively. That's okay. But these lyrics are inappropriate? I don't get it. The double standard is off the chart.
2: Well you would think whoever's saying that and whoever's starting this controversy would be labeled as homophobic because the front man for Queen was openly gay. Perhaps the most prolific gay front
1: person for a bigger band as this group was ever in our history. You're right. You're so right. And if I'm not mistaken, did he not perish of AIDS? He did. Due to sexual intercourse with same sex. I mean, that's sad. I, I don't want to see anybody die. But it's a good point you make there. So they're canceling a gay guy because he was involved in a band that recorded this song, Fat Bottom Girls. They, f- they find the lyrics racy. So it's not included on their on their greatest hits. But it was one of their greatest hits. Let's just be honest about it. It was. Oh, it's crazy. It, um, Fat Bottom Girls, it, it uh, hit the top or close to the top on several major charts. Incredible. Just incredible that we, we've gotten to that point. Do want to pass on that in Mississippi, student achievement has reached an all-time high. The um, assessment program, Mississippi Academic Assessment Program shows that the state student achievements, uh, those results that were produced in mathematics, English language arts, that's E-L-A for short, science and U.S. history, were at an all time high. They measure this performance. In English language arts and mathematics in grades three through eight science in grade five and eight and high school English two algebra one biology and US history also in those same grades and so the state has uh, achieved a proficient scoring level uh, 52.6% in math, 46.7 in English language arts, 59.4 in science, 71.4 in U.S. history, and this is all this is all good stuff. So, overall, our education has improved from 50th to 35th. That's since 2013. That, that's quite the climb of 15 positions, and a grade average of F to C minus. The national grade average is a C. So a lot of work to do but I think we have to at least recognize that uh, significant improvement has occurred in the state of Mississippi. Meanwhile, oh geez, out there in Portland, you know where that is right? In Portland, They are poised to adopt a whole new grading system that would no longer allow teachers to issue zeros or failing grades when kids cheat on tests. I'm not even kidding about this. This is coming in 2025 in a major American city where the portland school district is presently working with its teachers through workshops to introduce them and instruct them on a new quote equitable grading practice so it would not allow teachers to assign zeros to students who cheat or fail to turn in their assignments I can't wrap my head around this. All I know is, it is emblematic of what I term as the march to mediocrity. All they're doing is hurting, harming the very people they claim to be staunch advocates for. The district's initiatives, uh, they say, (coughs) are aimed to address quote, racial disparities and inequities in grading and instruction a quote journey that the district began during the pandemic according to a handout reviewed by some journalists who were investigating this grading for equity the handout states includes eliminating zeros as a grade even when a student cheats or fails to turn in a test or assignment It also calls for no penalties for late work and no grades for both homework and other failures to uh, turn in assignments and so forth. So you're allowed to fail. That's what it means. You are allowed to cheat. You are allowed to fail in that we won't give you a failing grade. You're still good to go even if you cheat. Even if you don't turn in assignments, this is crazy. This march to mediocrity, again, is harming the very people that it seeks to improve.
2: It's the How stupidity can... of no child left behind cranked up to 11.
1: That's uh, exactly right. But that's, that is that is what's Dibia. happening. Uh, it's exactly right. Uh, it all goes back to that. So the idea is always to eliminate, the honestly, these fabricated racial disparities. Will somebody tell me specifically what are the racial disparities in the public school district of Portland that they see the need to implement these stupid policies? So they want no penalties for late work and no grades for both homework and non-academic factors such as participation, attendance, effort, attitude and behavior. So if you participate, it's the old participation trophy, if you just attend, if you give an effort and you have a positive attitude and you don't disrupt the class, we'll give you an A. Regardless of how you perform on the tests, on the homework itself, This is unbelievable. This is a disaster for the students who struggle the most because it will fail to recognize their deficiencies and take appropriate action. And this goes back to my earlier point, honestly, about what we should ask our candidates. And it's my belief that we should ask them, this was just a question on the ceasefire tax line, what's the one question? Now, I only had one. There are plenty more I want to ask, but I only had one. But this goes back to that. What question would you like to ask? It's Would you admit that those are bad policies? Because these are going to fail. And we're going to find out in the not-too-distant future that these are causing worse outcomes, exacerbating what are already problem issues in our schools problems in our schools will you admit that those are failed policies and change them and take action appropriate action you're hurting and this is just the whole democrat story here that claim to be the saviors the the folks who are most concerned most empathetic most compassionate about your circumstances and situation you're hurting these people it is so crazy. Senator Angela Turner Ford will be our guest next in West Point. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well Studio for Prairie Arts Festival. What was I thinking?
0: What was I thinking? And now, talk that keeps Mississippi talking. On to the real part. Dino-mite. On Super Talk Mississippi. <plays>
1: Your blood circulating there. That's a little Led Zeppelin. <laughs> a whole lot of love. Appreciate that, Rhino. We are in the Element Well Studio today in West Point, Mississippi, for the Prairie Arts Festival. We're uh, waiting for Senator Angela Turner Ford uh, to join us here on the program. Blaine and Jackson on the cease text line. We were talking about Portland. And how essentially. Turning to transitioning to all subjective grading. Now, folks, there's a lot of districts across the country doing this. It's called ungrading. Las Vegas, we shared that with you a couple months ago. Las Vegas, the fifth largest school district in the country, has converted to subjective grading. No more objective grading. And this is happening in colleges. This is what's really scary, where you've got professors under the guise of equity that too are engaged in ungrading where they are allowing, for example, students to take tests over and over again till they get the grade they want, where they don't count off for not turning in homework or being late with it. Or maybe they need to reschedule and take the test later just because they just don't feel like taking it that day. They need more prep time. This is not real world. This is not what produces the best results for society. But remember, Rhino, hard work, delayed gratification, can-do attitude, those are all considered elements of white supremacy, European colonization, white supremacy. I mean, we shared that from Sandia Labs. First time I got exposed to that concept, Sandia Labs. For uh, your information, those are the folks that make America's, this country's nuclear arsenal. And right after the George Floyd incident, so much of this stuff stemmed from that. Right after that, they had a retreat for their top management required. And it was a couple of days of these DEI workshops where they instructed the, the management team that can do attitude and hard work, striving for success, working as a team. These are all elements of white supremacy. They're racism. Well, I don't think self-respecting black folks in this country don't believe that. I know a lot of them. They, they would say, that's crazy. I've, I've, I've seen them. I've heard them. I've shared this with them. And, and this stuff is pervading our Our schools, our college and university environment, and the private sector. That's what first got me to start paying attention to presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. He wrote a book called Woke Inc., where he chronicles all these DEI efforts in corporate America. And then he wrote one about a year ago called Nation of Victims. Nation of victims. True words were never spoken. It's just incredible. Does that include medical school? That's scary. Absolutely, it does. This is on the C Spire text line. I've had this conversation with many of my physician friends who have shared their concerns about how medical schools, law schools, graduate schools, etc., have started started to to adopt these principles as well and it, it is kind of scary uh it's unbelievable let's see there was something else chris from oxford says my god this is going to turn out our country into a bunch of dummies this is crazy you're taking away all the consequences this will knock our society back 200 years i i feared as well i do Listening to your show on the c Spark tax line, why don't we just tell students they don't have to go to school since they can't fail? There would be a lot of money left to spend elsewhere. Quit funding the schools. Assign them a diploma from the high school in the zip code in which they were born, says Richard Allison. It It, it is upside down. It is crazy. So Vivek said he didn't know if 9-11 was an inside job. I saw that as well. And I have concerns about that, but it doesn't change, honestly, my support. For him, I uh, I don't agree with him on that matter. And what he's really trying to call attention to is the fact that government just lies to you all the time. I don't believe 9/11 was an inside job, but I do believe that we don't always get the plain, hard, empirical truth from our gov- government. I, I just shared with you examples of how Joe and and Kamala and Hakeem Jeffries constantly dis. Uh economic data, constantly. Just just never really do share the truth about it. You were way off on this topic of assessment and evaluation, in my opinion, and from my listening experience, too. I don't know what you mean by that. What does that mean, Ryan? You were way off on this topic of assessment. Oh,
2: that's like the seventh or eighth text this person sent in because they're retired Mississippi administrator, so they obviously know
1: everything.
2: I see i got you
1: so this person says my name is keith zeroes never show the level of student learning and learning levels and academic progress is a direct reflection of teaching most teachers would agree that they the teachers have taught the students more than zero. Zero measures nothing i'd be happy to explain that I, we don't really need an explanation i appreciate it though i i mean the fact is that um the portland school district I mean, these are policies. This has been revealed. This has been documented. The Portland School District, the Las Vegas School District, the San Diego School District, there are numerous others across the country, will not give zeros for cheating. In fact, uh, what was it, the University of Cincinnati, do you remember that rhino we shared? Encourage cheating. Encourage it. If it'll help you make a better grade, go ahead and cheat. And some of the students obviously were aggrieved by that. They share their concerns with the administration. So um, I disagree with, with this listener on the text line. That's fine. We just have to agree to disagree here. That's But we can do it civilly, and I appreciate you uh, sending us your views on it. Well, let's see something else here. Uh, Neil in Greenwood says, So is Portland admitting minority students are showing less effort to succeed and therefore need an advantage? It, it is. Uh, what is termed as the low expectation of uh, of soft racism. I, I would agree. It, it does seem like that. I just don't see how in the world they think this truly does help minority students. It, 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 this is their idea of achieving equity, so-called equity, which, by the way, we're not all equal. Guess what? We're not, we just aren't. I can't explain that. That's a question for God when we hopefully get to heaven. I can't explain it. Just part of it. So uh, this this notion that you can just engineer equity is insanity. It's so misguided. It's so short-sighted. These are people that just want to feel good about themselves. Look at me. They cheated. They didn't turn in their assignments but they're a minority and I went ahead and gave them a passing grade and in and in, uh, in some situations it's just pass fail there's no objective grading scale really incredible uh, it's all about money says Mike from Columbus no zero means students average go up district keeps federal funding well that's more uh, related to standardized tests actually Mike not so much to their actual grades in the classroom but it's they get tested through the various standardized tests. too many I don't think you'll find a teacher that won't tell you there's just too much dang testing and everything's geared towards that testing state test etc and uh, that's how mostly we measure that again I refer to it as a march to mediocrity and it's no different than affirmative action in hiring and, and promotion and compensation where y- you're not retained you're not promoted you're not paid based on value based on performance based based on objective measurements rather those outcomes are determined based on your physical immutable traits it's it's just it's counterintuitive, honestly. Well, we got a debate coming up tomorrow, the RNC presidential debate. Eight now on the stage. We'll talk about the lineup there and what we might expect. So far, Donald Trump says he will not be a participant. We're coming right back with more in the Element Wells studio in West Point, Mississippi for the Prairie Arts Festival.
0: Podcasts. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. We are
2: back.
1: The Element Well studio relocated today to West Point, Mississippi for the Prairie Arts Festival. We are awaiting Senator Angela Turner Ford to join us. I think she's coming up about now. So just set the stage for you uh, for the Republican debate tomorrow. Uh, there are eight. So the latest entrant who qualified. Is former governor of Arkansas Asa Hutchinson will will be here and uh, at the debate. So, um, and and this is what the way the stage is going to be set for the eight, and it's and it's based on your polling. So right in the center there, if if you could imagine, you'll have Governor Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy, and then they will be flanked by. Former Vice President Mike Pence. And as you're looking at the screen on the left will be next to position next to DeSantis. DeSantis on the will be the first in the middle on the left four. Ramaswamy in the middle on the right four. Trying to set it up for you. And then to the right of Ramaswamy will be Nikki Haley. And then on the other side is Chris Christie. Uh And then it's Tim Scott on the right. And then the edges will be occupied by North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum and Asa Hutchinson. And that's, again, based on the polling. That's what it is looking like at this point. So we'll have eight. Now, this is quite a change from what we witnessed in 2016 when, I want to say Rhino, there were 17 on that debate stage, that first debate. Donald Trump, of course, had a nickname for for every one of them. Uh, It was entertaining, at a minimum, fascinating. And, And Mr. Trump, at this point, not expected to participate, though RNC Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel continues to hold out hope. This is what the former president said yesterday on his Truth Social platform. New CBS poll. CBS poll in all caps, of course. Just out has me leading the field by, quote, legendary numbers. (laughs) Legendary. Trump in all caps. 62%, 46 points above. sanctimonious, in parentheses, who is crashing like an ailing bird. Ramaswamy, 7%. Pence, 5%. Scott, 3%. Haley, 2%. Sloppy Chris Christie, 2%. Ada, (laughs) that's his nickname for Asa Hutchinson. Ada Hutchinson, 1%. The nicknamer-in-chief is Mr. Trump. The public knows who I am and what a successful presidency I had. With energy independence, strong borders, and military biggest ever. Tax and regulation cuts, no inflation, strongest economy in history, and much more. In all caps, I will therefore not be doing the debate. There you go. So, don't think we're going to see Mr. Trump at this point. And you've got to believe that the most disappointed people of all, that would be the Fox News Channel. Because the ratings surely would be considerably higher if Mr. Trump was on that stage. But more importantly, Rhino, you know who else is disappointed? The race lady over there at MSNBC (laughs) and and the CNN loons because they won't be able to spend an entire couple of days, if not more, just dissecting every word (laughs) uttered by Donald Trump. They made a living off that for a while. Uh, Ah, for the good old days, right? And now, like, nobody watches. I think we may have more people tuned into middays than CNN has at any point in time. That's really something. Uh, but that's what it looks like right now. Asa Hutchinson, the latest to qualify, and he'll be up on that stage. And so generally, you've, you've watched these before, folks. Generally speaking, the, uh, the higher you are, in the polling, you're you're in the center, which means the camera's on you more, but you also get more questions. Is kind of the way that works. I don't know what algorithms they use to figure that out and allocate and you know, and sometimes you'll see some of the those polling at the low polling at the lower levels will actually speak up and say, Hey, I need a question. <laughs> oh man. Is there a way to watch the debate free on the web? I don't know. That's from Jeff in Forrest County. I, I haven't thought about it. You know anything about that, Rhino? Will it be available? I mean, it's a, it's a Fox News broadcast. I would think you'd have to have some sort of subscription to allow you to access the Fox News channel. That's just my gut feel. Either
2: cable or no, satellite think, or stream. Or is there some? Is I remember the, seeing is the party a report. Doing it? Oh, it was this weekend when I was unplugged, but I did scroll past it. I think you can log on to foxnews.com and they'll be streaming it live on their website. Okay, I'll have to double check that Com.
1: though. Okay, and and you know sometimes you have to authenticate uh, to a service that you have that shows you do have a subscription. So maybe there are certain circumstances that's not. Uh, the case. Is that right? Probably so. Yeah, according to the New York Times,
2: the face-off will be streamed at foxnews.com and it'll also be streaming on Rumble, which is the official RNC partner. Okay, makes sense.
1: And my guess is that some deal worked out with the RNC and uh, the broadcaster there, the network, Fox News. Are y'all watching the debate? Or Tucker, says Thomas in Greenwood. I will watch the debate live. I might go back and catch the uh, the archive recording of Tucker Carlson who will be interviewing Mr. Trump though I caught a full hour with Mr. Trump and Larry Kudlow, I can't remember if it was last week or the week prior of course Mr. Kudlow a business journalist on the Fox Business Network honestly my favorite, uh, a show I watch on a daily basis and, and read his articles as well have since he was uh, with CNBC and he worked for Mr. Trump. He was uh, one of his economic advisors. I I generally agree, almost across the board, with with uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Cudlow's views. And I and I watched an interview. Now, what Donald Trump said. This is kind of interesting. Is that you know we were energy independent. And I've I've dissected that. That's that term I think is a little overused what it truly means we'll get into that in a second but what he said to to Larry Kudlow is that because of the the um, what he deemed as the just the explosion of the energy industry that we were going to be able to eliminate the federal deficit and retire all of the debt simply from the growth of the energy segment. I, I couldn't figure out specifically how Mr. Trump would accomplish that. There's no doubt that our economy would would prosper and would boom if we could get the price of energy down. It is, it is embedded, it is woven into uh, everything we buy, product and service, no doubt about it. And it is a major influencer of inflation. No doubt. And his policies were pro-growth, pro-supply oriented policies across the board, including energy. Mainly what he didn't do is what Joe Biden does, is say every every time he gets the opportunity, I'm going to shut down the fossil fuels industry. He, he, he didn't do that. He embraced it. He understood the need for it. And he got out of the way. And to a great extent, streamlined policy to allow uh, exploration in production of energy, domestic energy. No doubt about that. But I couldn't quite connect the dots on how that would allow us to eliminate the deficit and retire the debt because sort of like what we've said about PERS, there's three ways to do that. You've got to increase revenue, decrease spending, or a combination of the two. And I mean, I guess you could make some claim that by... By lowering the price of energy you would um, uh, you would see economic growth in the corporate sector in, in, in corporate America such that they would produce more profit and therefore remit more taxes without changing the tax rate. I mean you, you could make somewhat of a case for that, but there's a lot of star alignment that would have to have to come into play to, Eliminate the, uh, the deficit. I mean, that's significant, especially when you consider that we were sitting at, at um, just under trillion dollar deficits before 2020, the big COVID year, when under Mr. Trump, we had a record deficit of $3.8 trillion. However, this is what we got to point out. This is where Joe Biden is totally wrong total deficits produced under Donald Trump in his 4 years in office 6.2 trillion right now under Joe Biden we're at 6 trillion and we got a year and 2 months left we're going to produce a record 8 trillion dollar deficit under Joe Biden and he wants you to believe that he's actually lowering the deficit that donald trump was irresponsible in his handling of fiscal affairs that is a complete bunch of horse hockey we're coming right back with more in the element well studio in west point
0: you know what that means middays with gerard gibbert We'll do it live. On Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Welcome back,
1: everyone. Middays, live from West Point, Mississippi, for the Prairie Arts Festival. We welcome to the program now, Mac Thatcher, Sales Manager, Mossy Oak Biologic. Mac, good to see you. Thanks for coming on. Yes, sir. Good to see you. Round three. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, tell us about Mossy Oak Biologic, exactly what you guys do there.
3: Yeah, so we're a food plot seed company, uh, and our stronghold is in the brassica, which is rape, radish, and turnips, and then our clovers as well. Uh, that's That all comes from New Zealand, so it comes, huh. comes into Oregon, and then we bag it up and ship it to West Point, Mississippi, and then right to your door. Wow. And so do you have folks that
1: travel to West Point, or do you ship the stuff, uh, like you said, or do you have people come up here and check it out and figure out what they want?
3: Yeah, so uh, a lot of folks look on our website. We are in some big box stores, and we have a really good, strong mm-hmm. local dealer base. Uh, but people driving down uh, Highway 45—I mean, they stop by and come see us, ask us questions, show us pictures, and it, it really—it's a cool, it's a really cool thing. I mean, and we've always said that our customer is the deer, not the person buying it, and so that's the—that's kind of where we put our Hello. foot in the ground. So, uh, I mean, Mossy Oak, of
1: course, uh, iconic name. And in in game, uh, and this is just kind of uh, an extension of, of what the organization has has been uh, doing
3: as a core business. Yes, sir. Absolutely, it's part of our conservation brands. We also have a, a tree nursery uh, called Native Nurseries, huh. and then uh, Mossy Oak Kennels, which is British Labradors, and huh. then uh, we we we'll, we actually just started uh, Mossy Oak uh, Gamekeeper Meats, where you, where you can get wild game shipped to your house. I'll be darned. Yes, sir. That is
1: that is fascinating. I'm sure you have lots of customers right here in the State of Mississippi because we, we have such a large number of, of our human population that uh, enjoys the outdoors and, and, and enjoys uh, hunting in particular.
3: When do they start setting up these food plots? So in the northern part of the United States, they've already got them in the ground. Okay. So around here, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Arkansas, most folks shoot for around Labor Day weekend to kind of start doing the prep work and getting it in the ground. Uh, you you want to get them probably in the ground, brassicas at least, uh, before September 15th. Okay. And then your cereal grains and clovers, you can kind of wait a little bit up until October. Well, is the drought an issue
1: as well, getting this stuff to germinate?
3: It and is, start growing? it really is. I mean, I mean, the good thing is that seed will sit dormant in the soil until it gets, you okay. know, a good rain on it. Okay. Then it'll germinate. The issue is when you catch a rain and then don't get a follow-up rain. Okay, I see. It gets kind of
1: started out of the seed and then you don't get a follow-up rain to keep it growing.
3: Yes, sir. Okay, well, that,
1: that makes sense. But the seeds themselves you can put them in the ground even like in drought conditions like this they won't, they won't rot or spoil right, just yes. in the ground like that.
3: Yes sir for sure and so one thing that we try to do is you know get the freshest seed the okay. uh, freshest seed available uh, high in tonnage I mean some of our brassicas you can have 10 tons per acre uh, and that's out of a little eight pound bag of seed so uh, really just the given the deer and the turkeys and the other game the nutrients they need to really enhance their best qualities. How do you plant it? So there's a lot of ways to plant it. Some people will no-till it, some people will just broadcast it. Uh, okay. uh, other folks will do a thing called poor man's no-till where you'll bush hog your field pretty high, spray it with a glyphosate or a Roundup. Roundup, yeah. Come back a couple weeks later, broadcast on top of that, and then uh, cut it again so that thatch layer lays on top of it, so it with withholds moisture. Okay. So there's so a lot of ways you cut. can do it. The biggest thing is having a seed to soil contact and a really good seed bed. I mean, you really just you want to make sure that you have a really firm seed bed because some of those seeds are you know the size of a ballpoint pen. So yeah. any cracks or anything like that, you'll lose some of your seeds.
1: Okay. So I, I mean, that's sort of like what you do in your yard when you straw your bed and so forth and and keep keep the the root balls uh, sort of underneath the the surface and have something on top of them to Maybe don't let the sun so that the sun just doesn't hit them directly and they hold moisture a little better. It's same yes. sort of concept. Absolutely, it like. yes yeah. sir. It is. <laughs> that's that's fascinating. So broadcasting is that just a a typical broadcast type spreader?
3: Yes sir. So you they have ATV UTV attachments. I got. You. Uh, I personally like just the one that you wear over your shoulder, like a harness. Yeah. Yes sir. Just to be able to feel the seed and then just make grids in your field and you know I open it up on the lowest setting and do it a couple times, get a good exercise in and you know feeds some wildlife. This is it truly is a science, isn't it? I it, mean it is advanced quite a bit. It really is. What's what's probably one of the more surprising things is we offer a soil test and a lot of folks don't think a soil test makes a big difference but I mean a soil right here I mean looking at this lawn yeah. if you go to our where our warehouse is it'll be a completely different soil type, different <laughs> pH's, different micronutrients and, and so you need to handle
1: it differently? Right, right
3: correct yes sir so some might be high in nitrogen others might be high in potash. And
1: you can amend that yes, to get the optimum levels of um, all, all those those factors so that you have a good growth
3: yes sir absolutely that's awesome
1: mac appreciate you joining us yes sir mac thatcher sales manager mossy oak biologic folks hunting season right around the corner right now i'd settle for a little hunting cool weather i can't tell you that appreciate it mac thanks yes sir we're coming right back folks after fox news and super talk news is top of the hour hour three of middays is next Welcome back everyone the afternoon portion of middays from west point mississippi for the prairie arts festival wanted to bring back mac thatcher sales manager mossy oak biologic had some other information you want to share Mike?
3: yes sir absolutely so this will be our third annual mossy oak biologic warehouse sale it's across from geary's pawn and gun in west point and it's going to be august the 28th through september the 8th eight to five monday through friday you can call and pre-order we've got some super deep discounts on our cereal grain blends uh, green patch plus you can get an acre for $44.99. Uh, we've got a new product, Endurance Radish, that we're really excited about. It's a hybrid radish. Uh, it's a New Zealand variety and a South African variety. It's very drought tolerant, which is good for for us right now in Mississippi. And we've also got uh, our final forage, which is a blend of our rape radish turnips, nitro-coated. So we've got a lot of good discounts. Good stuff? Yes, yes, sir. And the, the best thing is, is it's all fresh seed. Okay. I mean, that Green Patch Plus was bagged six months. or two months ago okay. excuse me so okay. i mean it it's all real fresh we just want to get it out and get it planted
1: okay so uh folks need to go ahead and place their orders now because at those prices you might have a little run on that yes
3: sir normally we, normally we start running a little short towards the end so okay. it's, as fast as you can get there give us a call we'll get you set up
1: repeat it one more time
3: yes sir so it's the mossy oak biologic warehouse sale september uh, october Excuse me. August the twenty eighth <laughs> through September the eighth. Got you. And in West Point, Mississippi, across from Gary's Pawn and Gun, uh, we've got super, super deep discounts. I mean, forty four ninety nine for Green Patch Plus plants an acre. You can't beat it.
1: It'll be next Tuesday. Right? Yes, sir. Yeah, twenty eighth. Uh, extends a couple of weeks there.
3: Yes, sir. Two weeks. All right.
1: Sounds good. Appreciate it, man. Yes, sir. Thanks, Thanks for a lot, it, man. man. Yep. All right, folks, uh, we are back. So we had some questions uh, on the C Spire text line about some of this crazy stuff uh, going on out in Portland. It, it is totally bizarre, this whole concept of uh, ungrading and subjective grading and it, all in an effort to achieve so-called equity and eliminate disparities, uh, which just seems, in, in my view, it's an impossible task and, it, and it's, it's wrong-headed. It's, it's not the way to produce not only the best outcomes in society, but it's frankly a disservice to the very people that they purport to be helping. All right, I'm going to try to get through this next story, Rhino, without cracking up too much. Every time you think you see something crazy in this gender ideology movement, something else pops up that makes you say, okay, hold my beer. So a University of California San Francisco professor, it's always a professor, isn't it, Rhino? Because they're the smartest people in the room. Professors. (laughs) professors. <laughs> they argue children can identify, she did, identify as, quote, gender hybrids such as a minotaur? Half man, half bull from Greek mythology. Now, this person is Diane Enrinsoft. Praise the fact that a seven-year-old child once told her he was a Prius, a boy in the front and a girl in the back. She praised him. Aaron Soft, it turns out, is the mental health director of the Child and Adolescent Gender Center at the University of California San Francisco's Benioff Children's Hospitals. She claimed in a 2018 talk to San Francisco public library, librarians, that kids can, quote, change their genders by season and can have different identities depending on their location. She went on to explain, I totally agree we are in the midst of a gender revolution and the children are leading it. And it's a wonderful thing to see, she says. And it's also humbling to know children know more than we do about this topic of being gender expansive. What happened to gender fluid? Now it's gender expansive? So her talk, by the way, folks, is posted on YouTube. Wynn took a look at it. She believes transgenderism is... Quote, the next phase of the 60s feminist movement. One of her slides in her presentation, Living Outside, the title of the slide, Living Outside Boxes 21st Century Gender Creative Children. And there are a number of bullet points on the slide. Transgender children, gender expansive children, gender fluid children, gender non-binary children, gender hybrids, which include gender Prius, half girl, half boy, gender minotaur, one on top, other on bottom. Gender by season, school year girl, summer boy. Gender by location, at home boy, at grandma's girl. Gender Tesla, no idea what that is. Gender ambidextrous children. Gender smoothies, what the heck is that? Gender queer youth, agender youth, proto-gay children, pro-transgender youth, proto-transgender youth. She's introduced such terminology in the speech, including gender fluid, non-binary, and gender expansive. She also spoke of gender angels and gender ghosts, which she said Go to war with each other. What's your gender? Don't answer until you hear all your options. She says in her talk. Unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. According to her online bio, Ms. Enrensoft's research deals with the development and psychological experiences of transgender, gender non-binary, gender expansive, or gender exploring children. As well as developmental pathways of gender expansive children before they reach puberty and mental health outcomes for youth who choose puberty blockers or gender affirming hormones as part of their pediatric gender care. So, puberty blockers and gender affirming hormones are considered gender pediatric care just as abortion is considered reproductive health care She, of course earned a doctorate in psychology from the university of michigan rhino isn't that the place that had i think we found more in their dei department more staff than they do in the entire liberal arts department
2: sounds like somebody needs to check that professor's computer they might have something illegal on it you know that's a good point
1: this is upside down on so many levels, I just don't get it. I mean, I'll say again, how in the world can we ever achieve measurable progress in this country through good policy, especially from an economic perspective? Because like it or not, every single person in this country is affected by that.
2: They don't want it. They don't they, want it to they, be measurable because reality doesn't fit their narrative. I think you're right. Uh, I, and it's sad. But we can't agree
1: on the number of genders here. I'm sure Miss Aaronsoft doesn't think there is a limit to the number. Especially if you can be one thing in the summer and another thing in the winter. One thing at grandma's, one thing at school. The counselor needs a counselor on the ceasefire text line. She probably made zero effort. Sounds like they are. Uh, oh, well, that was from earlier. Why can't they just let it be on the ceasefire text line? Let a boy be a boy. Let a girl be a girl. This is so ridiculous. I, I totally agree. And the sad thing is, you only get to go through this part of your life as a child once. And they're robbing them of their childhood in all this mutilation of small bodies and injecting all these permanent life-altering drugs into these small bodies, they hold it as compassionate. It's not. It's anything but. It's cruel. It's downright cruel. Meanwhile, this is something we got to keep an eye on, related. I'll get it on the other side of the break. I hear the music coming in. But now we're starting to see cases about this, these various laws that ban gender treatment, sexual change procedures and so forth on youths. Many states have, like the state of Mississippi, has enacted such laws. But they're being challenged, and the ACLU is the main main plaintiff. And we're seeing judges get involved, and they're, of course, legislating from the bench. We'll talk about what's going on in Georgia when we come back. We're in the Element Well Studios in West Point, Mississippi, for the Prairie Arts Festival.
0: Middays with Gerard Gibbett. Hey. Mm.
2: Come on, let's get on with the show.
0: Yes. On Super Talk Mississippi. Mm-hmm.
1: We're back with you from West Point, Mississippi, for the Prairie Arts Festival. We appreciate you joining us today indeed. So, Brandon Presley, he has gone to Twitter. We still call it Twitter, right, Rhino? We haven't adopted the X yet. He says, Tate Reeves continues trying to distract from the fact that he has failed to protect Mississippi's children. Every year, Tate Reeves has been governor. Mississippi has ranked the highest in infant mortality in the country. Let's focus on the real issues like grocery tax cuts, expanding Medicaid, and supporting hard-working Mississippians. Well, certainly, our highest in the nation, infant mortality, is is not something to celebrate. It's something to be concerned about. The question is, what role does the government play in this? What are the root causes of this? What are the root causes? Maybe it's pregnant women. Yes, only women can get pregnant. Maybe they're not adhering to good health practices while pregnant. Might that be a factor? Maybe they're not seeking proper prenatal care. And even when they do, I've heard this, Rhino, I know you know something about this, from my doctors, my physician friends, who are OBGYNs that say, yeah, we can counsel them, we can tell them, we can instruct them, but we can't make them do it, and they just don't do it. And then they wonder why they have problems. Maybe that's what's going on. But no, Mr. Presley, he aspires to just hang this on the governor. So you're telling me, Mr. Presley, that cutting the sales tax on grocery is going to solve the infant mortality rate? That expanding Medicaid? Because you see, sir, in Mississippi... As a part of traditional Medicaid, pregnant women are availed to Medicaid services. So I don't know what he's talking about here. Expanding Medicaid would extend coverage to able-bodied adults other than the existing coverage groups that qualify in Mississippi, which is just traditional Medicaid, been around since 1965. I can't connect the dots there. It's just, let me throw this out there and blame it on the
2: governor. Well, in but fairness, Brandon Presley doesn't have a whole lot of history of actual worthwhile governance, so he has to take pot shots and throw out all the talking points he can to hope somef- hopefully somebody will pay attention to me. <laughs> I mean, I, look,
1: I think it's, it's terrible that we have this nationwide highest infant mortality rate and you don't want you don't want that to be a problem in any state in this country. I, I agree, but I don't think that that's a task uh, or a problem that a governor can solve. Now I would support assembling lots of smart people from across the spectrum that are. Exposed to this issue, to deal with this issue, there are obviously physicians involved in it, healthcare professionals, and and other clinical professionals. There's no doubt uh, about that, and and there are obviously some socioeconomic issues. I, I think there are educators that are exposed to some of this that could probably provide some valuable input so and, and and i haven't researched it enough to know who all the appropriate stakeholders and attendees would be I, i'm for that but to just say okay governor here's here's all you got to do and you'll fix this problem well that's just disingenuous it's not accurate we look to government too dang much do we not we oh, look yeah. to government to solve the and that's the fundamental problem here is it oh well and, and you know the other problem is, especially from those on the left, is that they want, they crave, they covet being the savior. Look what I did, I fixed all of that. Regardless of what it is. It's because generally speaking, and I'm and I'm being honest when I say generally, but typically this these are the most outspoken people. They've never accomplished anything in private life. Their entire life has has been wrapped around being in government and receiving a check, signing the back end of it. They've really never taken any risk. They've never made a payroll. They've never honestly had to solve problems where solving that problems was essential to survival.
2: I mean, they case never, in point. Look said, at all the liberal leaning. CEOs and millionaires and billionaires are they throwing their hat in the ring for any kind of political office? I mean even the ones like Mark Cuban that even kinda tiptoe around it and uh, maybe they eventually back out because they know they can make more money not being in politics and have a bigger influence because politicians for the most part are worthless. Right.
1: Totally agree.
2: So Thomas in
1: Greenwood says, so we don't need to expand Medicaid because we already look to government too much, right? Thomas, until you're willing to write and talk to your senator and your rep about Mississippi exiting traditional Medicaid, that argument has no weight in my, in my view. While I totally agree, as I said, that we look too much to government, the fact is we have laws in this country that require require the health care community to deliver services for free that's not right that's not fair I'm not saying Medicaid is a solution to it but what I am saying is nobody else listening here by law has to give away their services but healthcare providers do and that all goes back to 1986 and beyond so rather than just saying this won't work What we got to do, again, as I suggested, is sit around a table and say, but this will. These are proposed solutions. And I'd like to think and hope that those don't involve government. I hope that's the case. It should be. It should be the priority. That should be the priority. Uh, so when you're deep in debt, not making ends meet, the first step is to quit your job. That's what exiting base Medicaid is equivalent to. No, that's wrong. You just made the point. You're deep in debt. you got to get out of debt. you got to quit spending. Exiting base Medicaid would mean we don't spend a billion dollars a year of state money and almost $6 billion a year of federal money. That's all I'm suggesting. Because I've seen you, Thomas, in the past say, well, they just have to die. Because that's the alternative. Uh, Health care is a different animal because, unfortunately, that's the alternative. We're paying for it now. You're paying for this in your premiums now, folks. When these hospitals are absorbing uninsured care not getting a dime for it, you're paying for it in your premiums because that's the only way they can survive and make ends meet. It's a, It's a problem. No doubt about it. Mose says, Gerard, I would guess Mississippi had the highest infant mortality rate long before we got a Republican gov- governor. Absolutely right, Mose. We have been at the top of the list in almost all health care outcomes and measurements in quite some time, and at the bottom in virtually every economic measurement. That's just fact. I share the governor's view. I think he's focused on addressing those issues. My personal opinion is only one way to fix it, and that's to... That's to create an environment that allows our population to move up the economic ladder. Economic growth is the solution to this problem. It's the solution to almost all of our problems. Now that entails lots of different facets and aspects. For me, it starts with the nuclear family and the dissolution of it. That's that is driving most of these poor societal outcomes. It's a huge factor in the state of Mississippi. What can government do about that? I'm not for passing laws that forces people to get married when um, uh, 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 to participate in producing a pregnancy. I'm not for that. But I think it's time for folks that hopefully do have some stroke, do have some influence to express these concerns in the impoverished communities in our state, which is where this is most pervasive, and it's just a snowball effect that begets the next wave. We're stepping aside for a break. we got half an hour left from West Point, Mississippi. Stay with us.
0: Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, 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 news. huge, 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 news. huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi.
2: On. Well, now me and Homer Jones and Big John Talley had a big crap game going back in the alley. And I kept rolling them seven. <laughs> really
1: we are back west point mississippi that's where we are today we're outside too and it's hot my computer shut down a couple of times due to uh, overheating i got fans Uh, scary gary's got me some fans set up here so it's not too terribly bad the sun has lifted a little higher in the sky we're actually under an overhang here at the mossy oak outlet mall uh, shops here so ain't all that bad. we got plenty of pizza too if you're in the area. Come on by and help us out. Now, somebody asked me, Rhino, I can't find it now, unfortunately on the ceasefire text line, if I had read an article written by Bill Crawford about the upcoming gubernatorial race, and I, I did look into that, I found it, but the only place that I did find it, it's behind a paywall. And essentially what he's saying is uh, is that the governor is touting his economic accomplishments and economic progress in the state of Mississippi and it's a narrow focus is what he says but I, I applaud the governor in this case I, I put me down for one who believes that again that economic prosperity is uh, the foundation for solving human problems it just is it absolutely is everything that has improved the quality of life since we've inhabited the earth basically came from human prosperity economic prosperity I should say i i don't know what the big deal is about that and and why he's attacking the governor on that the governors never that i'm aware of said that he doesn't acknowledge that we have work to do of course we have problems and uh, all states do we it's part of inhabiting the earth as humans God made it that way it ain't perfect you gotta wait to get to heaven till you encounter that situation in the meantime you're gonna deal you're gonna grapple with human problems so I believe focusing on economic growth is the way to do that you think about for example the uninsured from a health care perspective now the reality is human beings get sick And when they get sick, their choice is just to let that illness run its course. Be miserable, have a low grade quality of life, perhaps even perish, or seek health care. Fact is, health care is expensive. Anybody listening knows that. So we should be focused on How do we take care of our population? I mean, surely we as as believers in God feel some degree of responsibility to take care of those who are beset with these human condition issues, that we have compassion, that we want to help them. The question is, what's the best way to help them? That's the question and what I see a lot is well not this not that not this not that what I haven't seen is this would help this would address that issue I mean the idea of achieving a perfect resolution I don't think that's possible honestly but so the question is how how do we deal with these myriad of issues
2: well it's like many things we've talked about where you have one example on one side and one example on the other side, and they're diametr- diametrically opposed, but the truth and reality probably lies somewhere in the middle. So, like m t- Imtala, you have yep. one side that says, Don't touch Imtala, you have to have it, or people are going to die. The other side says, Do away with Imtala because it's just wasting money. How yep. about you meet somewhere in the middle and have a, s- a list of maladies? where Imtala applies, but you also do away with these people showing up to the ER because they got the sniffles.
1: Yeah, I agree with you and and I'm on board with you on that Rhino. You know of course that the other dynamic of that is lawyers are out there waiting to to pounce. And and so you know this, we over doctor in our society for fear of legal, legal repercussions. We just do. We over doctor. And they show up in the ER and you, you know how that works. All you got to do is say, hey, I'm having chest pains. Boom, you're whisked right in. Whether you are having chest pains or not. And then a bunch of money gets spent testing you and priding you and poking you and all that sort of stuff. Well, you're fine. But I, I agree with you. And it, and it gets complicated. And, and, of course, we did pass some degree of tort reform in the state under the Barber administration so that we don't have these opportunistic lawyers out there looking to make a big payday at the expense of the health care industry and all they did was pass it on to um, us who who uh, stiffs who, who pay our way on the ceasefire text line Bradford in blue Springs says I propose a hospital tax everyone must pay Everyone must pay unless they can prove a full year of uninterrupted health insurance payments. Haven't thought all of that way through yet. Maybe a bad idea, but unless people are made to pay something, they will continue to not pay if they get it for free. It may seem unfair, but what else do we do? We require automobile insurance, et cetera, if you have a vehicle. I hear you, but remember Bradford, Donald Trump is the one that issued an executive order that uh, no longer makes it such that health insurance is no longer required. There's no penalty for not having it. We actually had that, and that was eliminated. But I want you to think about this, Bradford. We're talking about people whose income, an individual whose income is less than $20,000 a year. Unfortunately, we have a lot of those in the state of Mississippi. That's where we ought to be focused. How do we get them up the income ladder? How do we get them up the income ladder? How do we get them employed... And uh, where their employer offers group coverage, and they, uh, they share in the cost of it. If your employer is less than 50, has less than 50 on staff, they are not required to offer affordable insurance. You're on your own. You can go to the exchanges. I still see that as a, a reasonable, logical approach to this at least it gets people some degree of insurance the problem is the insurers don't have the best networks in the state. The best network in the state which is typical in all states is, is uh, held by provided by one maybe two carriers in the state of Mississippi it's Blue Cross Blue Shield they've got by far the most expansive network and all that really means is when you go to the doctor um, and you have that coverage they're in the network then you may have a copay or a deductible payment when services are rendered but in general the the clinic the provider will file uh, the charges against your insurance and they'll wait for the insurance to them. when they're not networked you gotta pay when services are rendered and then you gotta file and wait so it's definitely an issue that's not going away Stop giving them government handouts and force them to better themselves. I, I'm all for that, but again, we have a lot of people in this country, in this state, who are working, but their income's below the federal poverty level. If you priced insurance lately, it's pretty dang expensive. And like to the point about well, you gotta have insurance to drive a car, most of those people don't have wheels. They they join up with others in that respect. So complicated, complicated issue that uh, I think needs to be addressed, but I don't believe that government is the exclusive solution. Exclusive solution. I do not believe that. I think it possibly can be a part of it, but I, again, I'd like to see uh, the really smart, brainy people, the brain trust around the table to address this. I think it's what we got to do. So Brad says, screw the self-employed, says Paul in Meridian. Yeah, I hear you, Paul, and I, and I get it. Uh, when you're self-employed, you got to go buy coverage on the individual market. One thing we could do right now, Paul, that I'd like to see that I've talked about quite a bit is we could eliminate the distinction in uh, deductibility of group coverage and um I should really shouldn't say deductibility, but where you have a tax disparity in that the amount of money that you pay and your employer pays, uh, the employer pays in particular towards your group insurance. That's not income, but when you go out and then the amount you pay, that's deducted from your gross income. But when you go out and buy it on the individual market, Paul, y- you can um, you don't get the tax advantages. Let's put it that way. It's it that has been a disconnect for quite some time that t- to me seems like it could be easily solved but there just doesn't seem to be any movement any effort to do so but that's always been a problem is the distinction between the individual market and the group market with respect to pre-tax treatment of premiums pre-tax treatment and I said that just seems like an easy fix to me I hear you though man I really do and uh, I wish we would get that address people need to understand that health care is not a right everyone else, you have to pay for the product you receive says Kevin on the road I hear you Kevin so what do we do I get it I agree it's not because health care is a service produced by other humans what do we do you show up you're sick you're having a heart attack you got no money what do we do say I'm sorry it's complicated it's it's a lot more dimensional than just hey it's not a right I hear you though Final segment with Lisa Klotz, Director of Community Development, coming up next.
0: Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Welcome back, everyone, middays, live from West Point, Mississippi, for the Prairie Arts Festival. Don't forget, tomorrow, no, it's Thursday, pardon me, Sports Talk Mississippi will be at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College in Perkinston. They'll be kicking off the Meet the Bulldogs night, plus you'll hear about the great things going on at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. And it's football season. That means high school football on Super Talk Mississippi. It returns this Friday, and we got you covered. You can catch a local game on just about every Super Talk Mississippi station. Plus, you can stream a ton of games and get up-to-the-minute scores from across the entire state by going to supertalk.fm high school or by clicking on sports. On the Super Talk Mississippi app. And don't forget the scoreboard preview show at 6 p.m. on Fridays. And then the Farm Bureau Insurance Company scoreboard show at 10 p.m. on Friday nights. Anywhere you listen or watch Super Talk Mississippi. Joining us now, Lisa Klutz, Director, Community Development, West Point Community Growth Alliance. All right, uh, Lisa we talked uh, uh... in earlier today I should say about uh... all the events and activities planned for the prairie arts festival so do you have any feel right now for how many folks will be in i mean i know you you're aware of uh... and, you, and you've cited some some data about typical attendance and what's happened in the past do you have any any outlook right now with the event coming up on labor day a couple weeks
4: one thing that i look at is when the mississippi state football game is yeah so it's a uh west point is a great stop on your way to tailgate on your way to the football game The game starts at three this year so you still have plenty of time to stop head downtown west point to the prairie arts festival
1: gotcha so uh that that plays into it quite a bit absolutely i'm sure it does yeah Mm -hmm. because we're not far here right? From Starkville, I see it on the way up.
4: About 20 minutes. All right. um, my favorite thing to say is get off the highway and get downtown. There's so much more to West Point than <laughs> Highway 45.
1: <laughs> That's a good one. And so it takes place downtown West Point, right? Yes. It's a charming town, by the way. I think so. Yeah, it really is.
4: We are a population of about 10,000. Um, we we are in good proximity to larger towns, yep. but we have that great small town hometown feel. I
1: agree. Uh, great shops, great restaurants, and uh, other stuff downtown as well. It's uh, really easy to navigate. Set up pretty neat. So, and how many people you say? Twenty thousand? Is that right?
4: Anywhere from ten to twenty thousand.
1: And they're all around that downtown area, coming in,
4: coming in and out all day long. Okay. All day long from nine a.m. to four p.m.
1: Wow. That is, yes. that is incredible.
4: We have over 200 vendors, so there's a lot to see.
1: Are they set up there downtown, in the street, sidewalk? In the street, okay. in, on the
4: sidewalk, in the park. We have a great green space downtown that a lot yeah. of downtowns don't have. So we're very right. fortunate to have that asset.
1: You're right. I've seen that as well, and it, and it is pretty cool. It is pretty neat. And, and of course, the economic impact to uh, the shops, the shop owners, the restaurants, and so forth. Of course, lodging, hotels
4: festivals are important to the economy of a town we generate at the festival about ten thousand dollars in sales tax that go back to the city
1: that's big Mm -hmm. and you know you're right about that because so many of our small communities across the state of Mississippi do have some sort of festival event like that. Something that corresponds typically with the area, and it does draw people in from all over, and they come in and spend their money, and that's what it's all about.
4: Yes. One thing about West Point is the blues. We have a blues trail marker downtown. It's in the festival area, but we also have the Black Prairie Blues Museum. Howlin' Wolf is from was born in in West Point and right outside of West and White Station yeah so inside the festival area is the Black Prairie Blues Museum because we're in the Black Prairie um, Blues sound different depending on what part of the state you're in whether you're the Delta the Gulf Coast the Mississippi Hills we're the Black Prairie yeah. and so on um, stop in wh- the museum while you're at the festival or come back we have several um events going on there's some great blues musicians that will be there the night of prairie arts festival september 2nd mark muleman massey will be uh, performing okay there. um and then come have the hot tamales too so uh, that is um 8, 8 8 pm to 12 midnight Hi. At the Blues Museum, it's on Commerce Street, downtown West Point. Then also on Saturday, September 23rd, we'll have some local b- blues bands musicians, Stormy Monday. The old Memphis Kings, but then the special guest is Blind Mississippi Morris. That is Saturday, September 23rd. Doors open at five. Tickets are twenty dollars, uh, and it's just a great time. A great, it's it's a in an old building downtown, but it looks like a juke joint. It's a fun space to be.
1: Sounds in. like fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so, but the but the Prairie Arts Festival. September second. September second, a couple weeks from now.
4: Yes. So follow us on Facebook, Prairie Arts Festival. We're highlighting our vendors, our musicians, our sponsors, and um, also check out the Black Prairie Blues Museum Facebook page as well.
1: Sounds like a plan. Appreciate you coming on, Lisa, thank and, you. and good luck with the uh, the festival. I'm sure it's going to be a huge success. We are out of time here today. We thank you so much for joining us. We're back with you again tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone.